forward for another episode of Beef Station as we hurtle through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's kick it off. How you doing, boy? Yeah, good. Yeah? Good. Had a good breakfast. It's been a busy week. Had a little breakfast, yeah. <laughs> Ready to put myself into a carb coma right before we start recording. So, so as a vegetarian, I'm sure you're fucking used to it. And, you know, I've Here got this like, go. gluten-free bullshit I have to deal with at cafes. Uh, so we're both used to like a tremendous amount of compromise, right? Like yeah. you get the menu and then you're like, oh, can you do this but like not the bread? Or like, oh, can you do this but not the bacon? And to some degree, you have to be like, yeah, fine, fine. They don't want to like alter the menu. But what we ordered today was literally... Something that's on the menu, but take the bacon out, right? Yeah, just don't put bacon don't on Don't put it. meat don't on Don't cook that, bacon. The most expensive bit on the menu, you can keep that. Yeah. That's, you that's don't even $3 have to for you. You Th- just this, leave it in the freezer. These clowns are charging $3 for spinach. Yeah. And then somehow, when you ask them if they can save themselves money by not putting bacon on whatever bullshit wrap yeah. you ordered... Hey, can I like, fuck no, myself over on this yeah. menu? Like, no, we won't, <laughs> like, no, we won't allow you to do no, that. No, we won't allow you to do that. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. I know. It, it was definitely like, change, no thank you. <laughs> also, I'm fully aware this is yeah. the widest conversation we've ever had. Yeah, that's but right. Like, it's really... I went to order breakfast. <laughs> it's really fresh in my mind. And I thought it was such an unreasonable thing for them to refuse, <laughs> refuse to do. Yeah. It was it's a silly, like we were mixing thing. and matching yeah. shit. Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't um, want to be a chef, though. So, of course, um, this week, boy, uh, mm-hmm. as we recorded in the description of last week's episode, we both went and watched Widows, right? So, I've... <laughs> Did you... I got oh. some bad news for you. Bro. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so, for this podcast, I went out and specifically watched Widows until about twenty-four hours ago. That was the plan. <laughs> everyone's favorite podcast host, Andy B, here said, "No, I want to watch Widows. I like Gone Girl. Let's watch Widows." I'm like, Fine, I'll do it. Yeah. I come out of the movie and pretty well five. It might as well have been during the ending credits. Yep. Andrew texts me and goes, "Hey, can we?" Can By the we- way, don't worry about <laughs> it. Can we do a different one? <laughs> can we do a different movie instead. <laughs> What we found out... <laughs> really, really what this turns out is that this podcast is in cahoots with studios. We just try and trick our listeners into going to watch some some film. Yeah, Then yeah, we yeah. do a different one. So we're <laughs> yeah. tricking our listeners to double the movies, man. So By episode yes. 20, our listeners will have been forced to watch 40 fucking movies. <laughs> we're, we're aware that in the episode descriptions... Um, we're putting what movie we're doing next. We're doing like, more harm than good. Like logistically, yeah, we're trying to. <laughs> yeah. point, like, we're just I think <laughs> you should just treat those as some sort of like Schrodinger's prediction, where it's not guaranteed to be accurate until after <laughs> the next episode is out. So um, never hold us accountable to that. Uh, don't write in. Um, don't complain. Just don't. Just don't bother reading the descriptions at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So. Rather than Widows, which I'd say <laughs> I'll watch at some point in the next week, and then we can actually watching. do an episode of that. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I'm keen to do it. I haven't misled people. They might just have to wait a week. Yeah, well, no, no, they won't. I mean, I next week, we've we got something else we want to see. The week after that, we've got something. We're in, we're in the we middle of the, those two the peak things. season, boy. We can do those two things. All right, okay, yeah. We've just got to bank them in our memory <laughs> banks and um, do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess, I'll like, let's commit to doing Widows next week, because we told people we were going to do it, and then there might be another movie chucked in there somewhere. <laughs> We don't know these. Uh, we don't know these people. Anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're gonna devote two hours to that bullshit Spider-Man animated movie. Yeah, yeah, can't yeah. stop it. Yeah, as soon as we start getting sent money, we'll commit to a schedule ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, on consistency, send me money. <laughs> um, right. So that always um, does make me angry. Actually, is like when people are like, "You should be okay with a subpar product. It's free." It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Cost but also, me, but co- also be better. <laughs> it costs me nothing like my nothing but my valueless time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um all right. So we we talked uh, last week we started a new segment. We're gonna try and do some extra segments every week. Oh, we're not we gonna can... tell people what movie we're actually doing this week? Alright, I like it. No no no, no. no fuck let's that. sizzle no, it. Let's, let's sizzle it. You know what? Yeah. It's in it's in the title. They've seen it. Yeah, true. Or, <laughs> this is our mystery Damn, episode. There's no um, suspense here anymore. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> we'll talk about uh Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You in just a moment, but first we're gonna hit one of our what? patented bit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of our patented beef station uh, segments that is never to return again. Yeah. Uh, this time we're doing our little, uh, little uh, oddly profound quotes from movies you'd never would have mm. guessed. Kind of, kind of, kind of segment. It's my turn this week to guess. <laughs> right. Um. Here's the quote I got. You ready? Yeah. Well, first little jingle. We're gonna come up with a name, by the way. If anyone's got a um... oddly profound quotes from movies you wouldn't have guessed. I like that little like triplet ending. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't like I'm gonna I'm keen to name every segment. So well, if you've got any beef be, or guess space, guess the quote, yeah. guess the movie. Beef or space related names, <laughs> then uh, for for a segment where you have to try and guess a, an oddly profound quote from a film, then um, right in. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's the quote. Let's see if you can get it. We're going to do a hot or cold type thing like last week. Yeah. Quote is. <laughs> yeah, that worked so yeah. well. <laughs> the, the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Oh, now this sounds more like one of those like boomer comments on Facebook yeah. kind of things. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a hint by doing it in the accent that I think this character has. This oh, might be go. more of a hindrance than Uh-oh. a help. <laughs> the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. All right, that didn't help at all. Um, the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Oh, the ability the ability to speak didn't make you intelligent. Wait, is it Scottish or Irish? Cause Irish. Just no, he's Irish. Okay, Irish. <laughs> All right. It sounded a little like, um, uh, is it uh, Colin Firth? No, not Colin oh, Firth. Sorry, no, the other Colin. No. The one from... He's like, um, a, he's like I, I like to think of this, this character as like my sci-fi daddy. Sci-fi daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You're gonna have to like start making like any guesses. Okay, guesses. All right. Um. So sci-fi is the genre. That's a good way to start. We should guess guess genre. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Listen, this is take five when we workshop this segment. A my bit. guess is sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Boiling right. hot boy. Okay. Amazing that I landed that first time. <laughs> um. All right. Is it from? That sounds like it's from like two thousands. Maybe? Yeah, like early 2000s, yeah. Early 2000s, okay, all right. It'd either be late 90s or early 2000s. It's going to be fucking great if I've never seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would, say, from, um... I would say that you have definitely seen this okay, movie. Okay, what's that one with uh, uh, Snape in it? Like Galaxy Galaxy Quest? <laughs> all right, no, you know no. how he was in that one other movie? No, this movie came out in 1999. Alan, Alan That's Rickman. not the one I talked about. No. Okay. No. Right. Event Horizon? <laughs> no. Um... You're, okay, you're, you're, get, a, you're getting close with like space comedy? type stuff, though. No, it's it's. I mean, it's, it's not like a spo- drama. It's not supposed to be a comedy, but it's laughable in segments. Oh, ninety nine. Wait, it's not like Phantom Menace, is it? <laughs> it is. Who's Irish in the Phantom Menace? <laughs> Liam Neeson, you stupid fuck. Is he playing? An Irish character? I thought he was American. In my head, that character, like Qui-Gon... Is that, so it's Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon Jinn says it's the Jar Jar Binks. Oh, there you I, go, you got I can't it, boy. remember him saying that, but like... <laughs> yeah, with much better clues than I gave you last week, might <laughs> yeah. I add. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh-oh. No, um, 
more commentary. We've got a cat near the audio <laughs> recording devices. A really high chance that this episode doesn't make it. <laughs> Welcome to the lost episode of Beef Station. We've got to build up some more mythos around our lost first yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, that's true. So that when we finally release episode one that is currently not released, yep. people will be hyped about yeah. it. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, no, Phantom Menace, man, I remember that being a lot better than it actually is. I remember. And they got re-released, like, a few years ago. They, when Disney, yeah. right before Disney bought out Star Wars, they were going to do all those, like, 3D remasters of Star Wars and re-release them in cinemas in order of the episodes, yep. not in chronological order, which I feel like is just Risky. a deceitful way to force people to watch three prequels. Yeah. Um, Man, it's the most boring movie ever made. Yes. Holy fuck. This is The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there was some exciting... that Like, the art direction of that movie was really strong. Yeah. But beyond that, it was just terrible. Yeah. If you haven't... um, If any of our listeners... If you haven't seen it. No, if any of our listeners have, like, three hours free... Go look up the Red Letter Media half in the bag analysis of, of why the Phantom Menace sucks. Because he does the movie review, in real time. Yeah, his review of Phantom Menace, I think, is longer than the movie itself. Yeah, and it's Plinkett more entertaining. Is, is the name. Just Google Plinkett Phantom Menace and it'll come up. And it's, I think it's like a 90 minute thing of like, and why the fuck does this character do this at this point in time? It doesn't make any sense. It's great. You've got to get into it, but it's just like. If you can, <laughs> if you get past it, because it's a character bit. Yeah. If you get past that, his criticisms are, are like largely really valid, yeah. and like it just leaves you reeling as to how they fucked this thing up so badly. I don't know if it's the same guy. There's another similar YouTuber that does like a hour long video about like how he would have done the Phantom Menace and goes like scene by scene, yeah. and he edits together like actual footage from the movies together with like his sketches of like scenes that you can't possibly get footage for oh, yeah. to be like, oh, I want Yoda to do this and Anakin does this and Obi-Wan does this and these are the motivations and he like rewrites... What's the YouTube channel? Shout it out. I don't, honestly, I don't remember. Oh. But he like rewrites the whole first three prequels in such a way where you're so engrossed but by the end of it, I was just angry that those movies were never going to yeah, be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the same way as like, <laughs> I watched a guy explain why uh, Fantastic Beasts was shit and like hypothesize about like other Fantastic Beasts what wizardy been kind of movies you could have done. Right? Yeah, the Crime yeah. of Grindelwald one that was terrible and he was saying, for example, like, wouldn't it be, here's one, he was, so this was um, Christopher Bingham on his YouTube channel. He was talking about how like, he would have liked it if, for example, uh, it used like more of the creatures aspect of his yeah. whole fucking character, and he said like, "What if like it's like a 1920s triwizard tournament, and, uh, and Newt, has, to, like, Newt has been called animals. to Hogwarts in like a 20s Hogwarts, so you still get your cool 20s Hogwarts shit, and he has to like supervise all the creatures being used, and mm. then something happens, and then you know he has to go into the triwizard tournament um, maze and all the different." Uh, obstacles and things Very to sort of sweet. get this creature that's gone out of control and so you find this character is going through the Triwizard Tournament just like Harry did which is like that a sounds cool really little, fucking that's fucking awesome yeah, that would have been so great cool. uh, yeah. no never gonna make that there's yeah. another one where you're watching this dude like explain a movie that is never gonna be made yeah <laughs> right I've had wasted $20 on some horseshit fucking damn movie. it yeah um, <laughs> good channel though <laughs> right right well I feel I feel like that segment probably wasn't as good as the last time we did it but uh, I don't know. yeah okay we'll, right we'll, <laughs> we'll write in and tell us. <laughs> Let us know if you felt like that. Also, that kind of, also felt kind of flat. <laughs> um, the film we watched this week is Sorry to Bother You. I just realized I left the long black that we picked up for breakfast in the car. <laughs> <laughs> You're never getting that. Sorry, boy. It'll be yeah. an iced coffee by the time you get to it. No, it'll probably still be hot. It'll be lukewarm. Fuck, yeah. it's hot. It's here. gross. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we watched Sorry to Bother You. Yes. Directed by Boots Riley, who isn't necessarily someone that I was very familiar with. No. But I think he's mostly done like music type shit like he's this hip hop rapper producer type dude yeah um, this is his first film 
it's kind of this, it, it's set in like a alternate present day, I think Oakland, California, um, where this dude who like, is like dirt poor and drives this shitty beat up car and lives in like a garage that's converted to like a fucking guest house in his uncle's whatever, um, gets a job in like a shitty telemarketing company. Yeah. Um, and the idea, the idea of the movie is this tele this telemarketing company represents one of those massive fucking companies like Google or Amazon or whatever. Um, and they offer him in the middle of this like union. It's a funny, it's a black comedy for a start. It's really entertaining. It's yeah, good, so, good like, fun. I but guess they offer him like a, um, a, like a ridiculously high paying promotion in the middle of this like union dispute that he's having with he his the buddies. the opportunity like, to become a power caller. A power caller. Like gold-plated art deco elevator that they go up to their job in. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, but the whole idea of the movie is it's like a parody and a satire of these like retail... Scathing criticism. Like shitty retail jobs and corporate uh, type shit. Mm. Um, so he works for a telemarketing company yeah. whose main client ends up being this other massive multi-billion dollar enterprise called Worry Free. Worry Free. Which is... The idea is... Extremely... I can't believe it's not Amazon. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But, like, the idea in this Worry Free is, like, oh, um, in this, like, alternate present day where, you know, the middle class and the lower classes are having trouble getting jobs in that, um, there's this big company that is offering you the opportunity of, like, a free place to live and free food to eat as long as you live in their factory and eat the food... They give you. Um, they give you, and you you live full time for the rest of your life in this factory, and you work like ten hour days, and you don't get paid, drilling holes and shit, and yeah. you sign a lifetime contract. Yeah, <laughs> so it's this like cra- crazy, crazy, like like nineteen eighty four level shit. Where there it's are like, people who people are, are signing up so they have a place to live and free food for the rest of their lives. Yeah, but they have to work for it. And there are people who like in the film. There are people who are like, that's. Just slavery, yeah. but there's all these and like there cheesy. Are other people who are like, it's not slavery. Yeah. They sign a lifetime contract and never have to worry yeah. about being fed or housed or clothed yeah. ever again. And there's all these like cheesy billboards everywhere, and these like cheesy te- uh, uh, TV ads being like, that's why I chose worry free. Yeah, like, people. Um, yeah. So that's the idea behind the film. Um, I thought it was really funny. First it's of all, incredibly funny. One of the funnier movies I've seen in ages. Yeah. Um, the opening scene is the job interview that he has in the telemarketing thing where he says like, I don't know, it's not interesting to go through it, but like the the opening scene is really funny and it's really snappy and well written and it gets you into it straight away. Um, I feel feel like most of what Andrew's going to want to talk about is all like the uh, anti-capitalist rhetoric in this film. Like it really got Andrew's... to bite my tongue in order to... (laughs) It really got Andrew's uh, lefty dick rock hard. Uh, But... Um, the film itself is hilarious. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I guess to try and like not put people off by how kind of overly political it is. And once again, if you're put off by something being political, you're a bad person. <laughs> but um, it, 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 this is another film, sim- very similar. So this was uh, came out at a similar time to Black Klansman. Um, yeah, but it's totally totally different. Completely movie Black different Klansman. movie. Uh, yeah, but I'm just saying like um, they also there's also a lot of crossover in the Venn diagrams. I guess where it's. Uh, Almost entirely about the plight of people of color in America. Yeah, it's a lot um, about race. A lot in the, about in the last century. This one's a lot more modernized. Um, in fact, slightly futuristic, um, <laughs> in the sense that it's it's <laughs> it's set in the modern day, and Black Klansman's I not. I think it's set in a in a dystopian thing that's like in the next twenty years. It's yeah. like not explicitly rooted in today. Yeah. Um, because they've got some technology that like will is not around at the moment, but yeah. Um, 
uh, it's certainly not historical. Whereas Black Klansman obviously was in the I think <laughs> yeah, in the seventies. True stories in the fucking eighties. So like yeah. Um, but so this this film actually had a fair bit of difficulty coming across to Australia, which is why we're only seeing it now. Yeah. Um, there was some apparently a lack of interest, and like I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not entirely convinced by that. I don't um, know how you gauge that, like. Yeah, I think it's very difficult, and um, I think that the companies that are importing it are exactly the kind of companies that this movie is having a big fucking go at. <laughs> so, um, and I think Boots Riley might not have wanted to compromise on too many things. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah I knows? don't know. I'm interested to hear more about why that happens, but we probably won't. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's a uh, this this movie is a really great examination, kind of like a cross section of. Um, Almost every aspect of being a part of a corporate ladder yeah. in a current American company. As someone um, who's been stuck in like shitty hospitality jobs for a long time, like I definitely yeah. feel it. Yeah, and I think one of the most important things that this film does is because it and the, the similarity to Black Klansman is that it, it's predominantly told through the voice and experiences of people of color. Yeah. Um, and uh, what what it's so clever about is that it 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 just makes being a person of color and um, being embattled by a class struggle as inextricable. They are just part of the same process and the same issue yeah, sure. um, or the same nexus of issues. That are, It's kind of this Gordian knot of issues. And it, when you tug on one thing, like it's all connected. So um, you can't just have a film that's scathing, you know, that, that's like, oh, capitalism sucks, but racism doesn't exist. It's like, yeah. no, that's obvious. The, the class is inextricably linked to yeah. it. So um, what I feel like is that this film, it kind of is almost doing like a double helix thing where like one strand of it is about like criticisms of the capitalist structures and how much they're like just grinding people in the dirt um, and, and trying to trying to sell you on the upsides of slavery. Yeah. And the other thing is like, like how the, much... The plight of African-American people yeah, in America and, and, type and stuff. looking at like how much people who uh, have been privileged by their racial background um, yeah. kind of don't have to worry about the same things. The, this idea, I think this idea of worry, and I'm not sure if... It's difficult to gauge like without... So for the listeners at home who haven't seen this movie, it's really hard, I think, for us to gauge at what point we've given you enough information to kind of interest you because yeah. um, this is an incredibly fast-paced movie. It covers a heap of ground. It's really so funny and witty. I, w- I would mostly cover it as like a black co- a black comedy, right. witty But if I'm going to go... So I know some people thing. are interested in like hearing a little more yeah. of the political stuff. Yeah. And I just am... am and that's the topic. Vaguely, I mean. yeah. I, I'm just like vaguely aware that I don't want to alienate people who uh, you know might not be um, listening yeah. to it for that too much. Um but uh, just the the way that it that it represents so the the main mechanism i guess that it looks at the race issue yeah. um is by uh so um the main character whose name is uh Cassius Green <laughs> Cassius Cash is Green Cash is Green they sort of pronounce it like that like an hour into the movie <laughs> oh, yeah. oh so he lives with his partner Detroit played by Tessa Thompson <laughs> they're in... they're like names. yeah 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 and it's funny they 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 like explain why so we won't ruin yeah. those jokes but um they live in the garage of um uh Cassius's uncle played by Terry Crews um and so he, uh, Cassius goes to this telemarketing job and he's incredibly unsuccessful for like his first week. He just yeah. can't hold anyone on the phone. Yeah. And the way that it actually does the telemarketing thing is fucking great. It's great. He, he like makes a call and is physically, you see all, him at his desk, like drop into someone's house. Like he invades yeah. their home. So someone will be like, 
there'll be like a they're couple like, like eating breakfast or whatever. Eating breakfast or like fucking on the couch. Yeah. And his his desk like bursts through the ceiling and drops down yeah. and all this sort and of stuff. And their phone rings and they like pick yeah. up the phone and he's like right there looking at him talking yeah. to him through his so headset. I guess we have it's mentioned very this whole film is kind of, has this kind of fantasy surreal yeah. kind of aspect to it. So it's kind of like a yeah, like surrealistic comedy kind of moments like that that happen all the time where like the walls will drop down and something else will happen or yeah. like he'll drift into some sort of weird dream Which sequence. I think is beautiful because at the same time as he's uh, Boots is making this really political um, kind of like, I don't know, it's angry. It's an yeah. angry movie. It's angry about what's happening to people. Yeah. But he's also really kept a balance between like, yeah, I'm fucking angry, but this and, and, and what these companies are doing is shit. And yeah. the, the, the struggles that people of color experience in America is is unacceptable. But also, I'm making a satirical comedy. Yeah. And I have to keep that in in my mind at all times. Yeah. So there are moments when this film approaches like incredibly severe, just desperate criticism of of these structures. But there are points when it's like almost slapstick. You know, yeah. when there's like, yeah, he's he drops into this house. And someone answers the phone while they're getting boned, and like <laughs> he's trying trying to talk to them, he's like, and he's like uh, looking sorry, at ma'am. them. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He's like, sorry to bother you. Anyway, so he's not being uh, successful because everyone just keeps hanging up the phone. Yeah, and um, yeah. and then this uh kind of like wise old black guy in the <laughs> next to him leans across, and he's like. And this is again how it's looking at the the racial structures. I he, he desperately like, want you to do a voice right now. He leans across. <laughs> I'm not doing any voices. He leans across and he's like, "Hey man, I can. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere sounding like you sound. You've got to use this. You've got to use your white voice." Yeah. And so I, I thought this was really interesting because this was also a theme in Black Klansman. Exactly the same thing where, where he was he talking to white, David Duke on the phone. Yeah. Sounding like a white guy. And David Duke has this attitude of like, no, I can tell. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is really clever, but it's kind of already been done. So yeah. I'm interested to see like what he does with well, it. Well, I don't think it's and been done. I imagine it's probably a very common thing that it is. black people experience. And um, yeah, I, I know that like sometimes people in these cultures who are trying to escape from some of the kind of like... Uh, cultural violence around them yeah. um, get accused of, of these types of things. They get accused of like talking white. It's like, you know, just trying to get a decent job and yeah. and, and, um, and like kind of play into the, the structures that benefit people um, or like actively don't benefit people, but whatever. <laughs> um, they can get accused of this, this ostracizing process by, by saying like, oh, that's not black. You're talking white. Um, you're doing, you're behaving white. You're doing white things, um, which is kind of, um, you know, like understandable, but can also be quite harmful because it sort of maintains structures as they are. So I thought yeah. it was a really interesting lens to look through this as. But again, it's a satirical comedy. And so what happens is this guy is, so this old guy leans across and he's like, um, you know, oh, you got to talk white. And um, Cassius <laughs> is like, he like pinches his nose and he's like, do you mean like this, sir? And he's like, no, 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 nothing like that. Because that's what the Black Klansman thing is, right? It's that he sounds kind of like an upper class or like middle upper class like yeah white waspy dude yeah um and then he's like able to talk jive but he's also able to talk <laughs> white you know yeah but that's not what happens in this what happens is um he says you this old guy says you have to talk like you don't care about this you have to talk like you're not worried about whether or not they actually take up your offer or not it's just so so to you yeah. you just have to talk like you have no concerns about it and I thought that was a really powerful way to do it because, like, 
there is a different a differential level of concern between people in that like kind of white middle class or upper class structure where they just don't really have to worry about anything because there's so many safety nets that they never actually have the same level of concern or investment that people of color or, or lower class people have to have in order to kind of stick around, you know? Yeah. Um, so I thought the way that they represented that, and, that, and that's a theme that runs through the rest of the movie is that actually what happens is um, his voice ends up changing in a certain way. I don't want to yeah. spoil it because I think it's a great moment in the movie. The, the way that they change his voice the when he's talking he talks white, white is, is hilarious. Fucking um, genius. Yeah. It's fucking genius. This uh, Before we get too far off, and I'm trying to find an article about it, this reminds me of... I did a couple courses in linguistics back at uni. It's like an elective. Yeah. And we were talking about um, variations in language and about how there's no way of talking in English that's incorrect you mm. can just classify them as different dialects or different types of english and so they were talking about how it's a very outdated and sort of like prescriptivist look at language to say oh saying this is wrong and saying this is yeah. right because if you if people commonly say something or commonly write something a certain way then it's a piece of language there's no use. single source of truth yeah. that defines what english exactly is. but like yeah. if it's if, it, if it's comprehensible and if it's a piece of language that a community uses that yeah makes sense and communicates, then you have to be able to explain it. And that's like a different type of language. And right. so there's this whole series of um, academic studies that have done on um, African-American vernacular English is what a- they call a- it. A- and yeah. they talk about how like um, things like oh, she be passing by or whatever, like little little unique language characteristics of the way in which African-American people yeah. commonly speak um, actually make grammatical and syntactical sense and you can define very it follows patterns very logically yeah. and very systematically how those how that language follows patterns yeah. Yeah. and it's like a legitimate form of I thought it was really interesting it is and they talk about how like African American vernacular English has like a whole bunch more cases and tenses right. than normal English does just because of the way in which they use verbs and I don't have any examples but like I was reading some article back when I was studying it uh, they were talking about how like oh if you say this sentence in like African American vernacular English people might want to correct it to this way of saying it like a standard English kind of yeah. thing but that means something subtly different in the same way as like someone might tell you oh you know in Japanese or in German they have this word that means this it's like yeah this is the rough translation but it's not quite right it's not quite right it yeah. kind of means something different just like how um, in German I said like I don't think German has properly like a word for awkward mm. like German says when they say awkward they say like the word that kind of means embarrassing yeah and so i was talking to my german friends saying like no awkward's kind of like this and they were like yeah that's an embarrassing situation and i thought it was cool that because they didn't have a word for awkward Mm. they didn't understand the concept of awkwardness yeah because they didn't have a word for awkwardness awkward situations and embarrassing situations to them were all just embarrassing yeah and in the same way i think like because there's all these different explanations of like different cases in African-American vernacular English and different tenses they have. And it kind of sounds like the same thing, but like, no, it's something subtly different. Mm. And I think and it's really interesting that like, mind. yeah. Um, one thing that I learned while I was studying psych, which it sounds obvious in hindsight, but like, <laughs> um, I'd never really thought about it before is that like, I your, think that's most psych. <laughs> your thoughts are in a language. Like you can't think out of the language that you've learned. You're only capable yeah. of thinking in English within or con- German, within or the confines of learn. the language you learn. Exactly. So if you never learn about an experience or the concept of an experience, you might feel physiological symptoms, but you're not able to understand or like 
distill into a singular kind of concept certain like emotional experiences yeah, or it's whatever. Um, so it's it's really fucking interesting that the language that you speak and how you speak certain languages can genuinely define. Um, yeah, the experience, like the sensory experience that you have, and like the syntax, the way in which I was like say sensorium, but then yeah. I said sensory, <laughs> like the sensory, syn- like the syntax of the way you like can construct sentences and things can influence the way you your 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 thought patterns work. Yeah, yeah, like the way in I don't know if this is an example or whatever, but like in German, for example, you have to say the verb at the very end of the sentence, mm. and so you have to sort of say your whole sentence. And then the verb that explains the sentence right at the very end, which is really confusing. So yeah. when you're listening to someone, someone can say a whole sentence and you still don't know what they mean until the very last word, which is the verb. And then you have to go back and think about it. It's right. crazy. It's right. crazy. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds crazy to us, but that's because our language doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, um, but yeah, yeah. so that's, um, it, it just reminded me of that. And the way they're talking about black voice and white voice just reminded me of how, um, from a prejudicial point of view, um, it can seem like... The, the film is very much saying like white people judge black people speaking the way they do, and I think it's really interesting. There's like an, there's an academic and logical linguistic argument yeah. of saying, well, no, they're not speaking incorrectly. They're speaking perfectly logically, and it's a perfectly systematic way of speaking. Yeah, it's just and it's dialect. actually in some cases superior to regular English because yeah. it has more variation in the ways you can speak. Which I think is cool. Yeah, it's. I, I just think this idea of like <laughs> I don't know how we're gonna get back onto the movie from here. <laughs> oh, just this idea of like representing someone's. Um, uh, someone's level of privilege by the language and the way that they're talking, I think, yeah. is, is is incredibly, incredibly interesting, especially through uh, the sense of you know. Both, I think it's no coincidence both of these films root themselves in uh, conversations that happen over the phone, where you're unable to see the other person and yeah. you're forced only to judge them by the sound of their voice and the words that they're using, um, and that like there's almost. Um, there's almost this concept of passing as like, so um, this is a, uh, a, a a really different wheelhouse, but there's this concept in um, uh, the experience of transgender people where yeah. like, um, it's not necessarily something aspirational, but some people want to try and do it where you want to try and pass fully for the other gender and yeah. not be recognized as a transgender person, but yeah. be recognized just as a cis version of that gender. And yeah. because it, it makes things easier, it's easier for people to process and you'll, you'll get less, um, phobia and hatred towards like people you just you see you as a, as a woman or whatever. Yeah, so that concept is passing, yeah. right? When people don't realize that you're transgender. And I imagine that's something very similar that this guy experienced. Also, if I've gotten yeah. that definition wrong, I apologize, but yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. So it's interesting that this film kind of takes like talking to people over the phone as almost like passing for white. Yeah, well, and, and that's something they explore in Black Klansmen as well. Yeah, Just definitely. the idea that you're treated differently because of the way in which... Mm. Um, people perceive perceive your race or whatever which is crazy yeah (laughs) oh and uh, so like i guess getting more this is all treated in a very funny way it's so i went back to the way we describe black clans but we were like no no but it's funny and entertaining yeah like i think it's important because it doesn't yeah we we had this exact same conversation like 10 episodes ago and we're talking about black clans but i was talking about how like it's always more interesting to have this kind of message and someone's philosophical take on issues like this wrapped up in some entertaining engaging story somehow yep. no one just wants to sit a lot a lot fewer people want to sit there and watch a documentary about why capitalism and race politics are fucked you know yep. like people go like yeah fine i get it i know everyone knows yeah kind of thing i think but it's when it's much wrapped more up powerful, in a movie like this yeah much more powerful way to go about doing it i mean that's always been the thing about like yeah. um 
comedians who delve into politics is yeah. it's like they're trying to disarm you because you're laughing with them and then they kind of like blindsight you by saying like isn't it funny how you're laughing right now but this issue is like incredibly fucked <laughs> and and it kind of forces you to be like i mean i, w- I was with you yeah um and i still agree with what you're saying but all of a sudden we're in a political realm and i'm being forced to like examine my own biases or prejudices yeah. or ideas or whatever and this film does that really 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 well Maybe I'm desensitized to it, but I feel like there was a lot of times when, like, uh, you and Patty were watching the film, and there'd be some bit of satire on the screen. You'd be like, "Ooh," or like, or whatever. And I just feel like I didn't really get much of an impact from it. Like to me, like I get what they're saying, and like they'd show me like, "Oh, look at this corporation using these people as slave labor," and I'd be like, "Yeah, but it's it's in like a movie. Like people people know that corporations are fucked." Like to me, this film was funny, and I agree with what they're saying, but I think it was no more like impactful from a social point of view as like the Wolf of Wall Street would have been. It's like, yeah, fine. It's 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 presenting it's presenting a point of view that most of the people that are going to go see it agree with or understand at least in principle why these people think this way. And I don't think it's going to have any kind of like major impact on society. Like no one's no one's going to be like we're going to change the way our company works because of this Boots Riley film from 2018. No, the, you know the, what I mean? The, I I feel like you've touched on a really interesting. So one of the one of the core themes of this film as well is the the support that it has for organized labor in particular union movements. Yeah. Um but again, like I don't think there's going to be unions being like, thank God for that movie spreading the idea of unions. No, like, but I it's think not it's just... targeted at unions. It's yeah. targeted at people who aren't in unions who are in shitty jobs saying, yeah. go and join a fucking union. Yeah. The point of this movie is that it's not ever going... You're never going to change the companies or the power structures that exist. Like That's in... not who's going to see the movie. It's they... like inspiring from like an individual fucking point of view. Fucking Jeff Bezos probably hasn't seen this movie, but it's not trying to change his mind. And that's the point. You never change the manager's minds. Yeah. The only way that you change the manager's minds is by attempting to harm the profit margins. And the, the only way that you have any power to do that as an employee is by organizing to fuck them over in the form of a strike, which will cost them money. And that's when they'll listen to you because they do actually depend on the workers. But if there's a small enough, before there's a critical mass of workers, they have no power to make change. And so what this movie is saying isn't like, take a good hard look at yourself, corporations. What are you doing? It's saying you, as the workers, have the ability to make change. And but empowered, enough of yeah. you need to do it. If not enough of you do it, you won't be able to. It has to take enough of you to go and make this change and to make the decision to make trouble, to defy orders, to fight the 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 struggle that you have to in order to result in not being treated like an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. Because it benefits a company to do so. So I think like the the reason why I would. I'm speaking for Patty as as well as myself here. But the reason why <laughs> I enjoyed it so much and 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 was like doing sharp intakes of breath at certain points, yeah, was for two reasons. One, um, I yearn for something that has the same kind of like angry level of criticism towards these structures as I do, and you just don't really come across it very often. And this piece was extremely vindicating for me. This this film was very therapeutic to watch because I I sometimes feel like. Um, like I'm looking at these 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 news headlines and these things that happen, and it's like, am I going fucking crazy that no one cares about this? Right. Like I yeah. know it's in the news, but why is no one like? So the idea that you're watching streets. a major motion picture where someone's like, "Hey, man, I get you. I yeah. I, I, and, I, I agree with you." That, but, yeah. Okay. But they're speaking in a similar language to how my brain thinks about this issue, yeah. which is like, uh, you know, like at one point, uh, one of the most salient bits of the movie to me was that the main character Cassius is flicking through TV channels, and it's he's um. 
uh, so like mild spoiler alert, he gets promoted to be a power caller because he's so good at his job. We mentioned job that like ages ago. After, yeah. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. sorry, I forgot. But he so so he starts talking why he gets to be a power caller, and he like he's making shitloads of money. It's like solving all these problems he has in his life, and he and moves it's, into it's this, this beautiful comical apartment. big deal. So like he yeah. was originally going to be like joining his fellow workers in the shitty telecom thing because they're getting paid nothing and not getting any benefits so they were going to unionize yeah and then, and then they were like the we'll line. pay you a hundred million dollars or whatever yeah. to be this power caller and he's it's like selling him selling his principles out for whatever yeah, yeah and so he's he's genuinely like selling out and, yeah. and they have this conversation this really meaningful conversation about like hey i'm i'm on your side man it's taking it's, it's criticizing the people who are saying look i'm with you man but aren't doing anything about I, it. I'm 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 with you on the sidelines. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. I'll support you if I'm asked about it, yeah. but I'm not gonna pick it. And so he crosses the picket line, which is done in a very funny way in the film. Yeah. Um every single time. <laughs> um and uh, they have they have like a SWAT team that beats down a, the crowd yeah, getting through the in front an door in American football style. Like they literally like are crunching through these protesters. It's, it's that's one of the more like blatant satirical bits. There's like, bits there's the like movie. four scenes with like a SWAT team beating down protesters yeah. to try and get the executives through the front door. Yeah, of this and, and to the point where like towards the end of those um, bits, there's someone with like a referee's whistle that's like blowing it for them to start, and like <laughs> it yeah. becomes like a lineman. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so the, so he buys this nice apartment and he's sitting in this nice apartment and he's flicking through channels on television and there's only three channels. There's this uh, mind-numbing game show that is just about contestants having the literal shit beaten out of them. <laughs> like, where they end up with, like, a bloody nose. They're like, I love getting the shit beaten out of me. And they're, like, being punched in the gut. And he's, he's like... Clearly finds that a little distasteful, so he flicks over to this next channel, which is an ad for the company that's the main client. It's an ad for Worry the Free. Worry Free so Slavery Company. So you've got a game show, an ad, and then the third channel is the news, which is covering the picket lines, yeah. right? And and how like how he has to see what these protesters are kind of fighting for and going through. And he he keeps changing the channel between the three channels he doesn't want to see because any he doesn't want to see any of it because <laughs> yeah. he's being by sticking with his company he, f he clearly finds worry free absolutely sickening like he recognizes what it's doing he knows <laughs> it's slave labor yeah. he doesn't want to watch this fucking mind-numbing game show because this it's it's genuinely vapid of any kind of substance. But he also <laughs> doesn't want to watch the news because he's obviously betraying all of the people that are that are on that thing. And he just keeps flicking through these three channels. It's like there's the only three channels he have. It's like shit entertainment, advertising, or news. Yeah. That's all you can watch. Yeah. And he's alienated from all three of those things. <laughs> and for me, Having someone be able to condense all of these themes and like an experience that I have fairly often where I'm looking at stuff and I'm just like, man, I don't want to hear about any news because it's depressing. I don't want to see any ads and I don't want to do anything that is ads, but I'm not finding any entertainment that I find interesting. It's like what media is then useless to you. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think just having it condensed so effectively into like this funny, absurdist, just satirical... Uh, almost like Tim and Eric show style. Yeah, like. I, I loved how surreal it was at points. That it's was really so good. good. So that was, I guess, what was making me in, in kind of like be so shocked by <laughs> how effective it was was that yeah. um, I felt like it was really tapping into like my internal dialogue of how just things are things are just satire is like bending back in on itself and just becoming a reality. And yeah. I think that there were parts of this movie where I was like 
Jesus fucking Christ. Because what was just represented on screen, I know, was heavy satire. Heavy, heavy satire. This would have been an awesome movie to get but to be able to study when we were doing It feels doing like in 10 in like years, class. what they're representing on screen could just be real. Yeah. And I think that's what's so effective about this film. Yeah. I would say that's like its greatest strength is that like with, with maybe one exception <laughs> of a core plot point of the movie. Yeah. What is being represented on screen Everything is, is, almost possible. is so close to believable yeah. or even happening at the moment that it's just devastating to see. It's devastating to see someone be like, to, to, to do the frog in hot water thing of like leading you to be, it's like he's just getting a job and then he's just working hard and he's just figured out how to do it well and then he just gets yeah. a promotion and then he just has to keep kind of doing what he's doing and then he just crosses the picket <laughs> line. And then like it's sho- it shows you this progress which starts from his character at the bottom of the chain and it shows every problem with every link yeah. moving up that chain yeah. a- until he's kind of like right there looking at the top and he's still he's still in contact with people who are at the bottom of the chain fighting for like things not being shit yeah. and he's at the top looking down and he's still disgusted by it but it benefits him so much to stay where he is that he just doesn't really i mean he has a choice but it feels like he shouldn't be making that choice it feels like the dumb choice is to go and be a protester you know it's like why would i be poor why would i struggle yeah. why would i and it's because he ends up having to genuinely sell slaves, like sell slave mm. labor. Well, this kind of reminds me of what I was talking about um, the other day about those like, <laughs> I'm not going to remember any Sorry of this shit. for the like 20 minute but, rant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to remember any Love of this shit because like my education was wasted on me. <laughs> but like <laughs> that tragedy of the commons system archetype yeah. I was talking about where like every, you think, of, like, think of like an imaginary scenario where like, all these people benefit from one common resource. So the metaphor you used, which was pretty good, was that there's a circular forest with villages all around it. Yeah. And all of the villages use a little bit of the forest. Yeah. And so, like, they end up completely destroying the entire forest, but none of them sees what they're doing until it's all gone. Yeah. And, like, the individual negative repercussions... um, Yeah. And the benefit... The benefit is massive because they get to use as much wood as they need, but the benefit to everyone is minimal and the devastation to everyone is massive because then they don't have a forest left yeah and so like this kind of reminds me of this where like it's it's kind of another one of those like system archetypes kind of things where it's like this guy can on the one hand he can make a choice to go get this amazing well-paying job which is going to benefit him personally tremendously or on the other hand um, he can support he his can, like, comrades. He can like go to like the picket line and join one of like a, a thousand people and make almost no money and support his comrades, which which is going to be more beneficial. Right here's where it works. It's going to be more beneficial to the whole of society yeah. tremendously, but it's going to be very not detrimental. Very to very. Him. L- it's, yeah, it's going to be a very very little benefit to him personally. And yeah. so that's what the tragedy of the commons is. It's like every single person needs to make the choice to do the thing that benefits them in a very, very little way in order to benefit all of society. Yeah, exactly. So the way it ties back to the, the forest Which metaphor that I fucked before is like all those villages in the forest would need to make the choice to not cut down the forest yep. um, in order to save it and benefit everyone. Because yeah. they tr- they benefit personally a lot more from like cutting down the forest near yeah. their village. And so if you're... A- and the and bottom it wasn't line the same way. Is if you're acting in your own self-interest and if every single person is acting in their own self-interest, fucks everyone. everyone is doomed. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so this, hey, took me two days, but I finally was able to construct that... <laughs> to constru- remember yeah, 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 what yeah, I learned yeah. at uni. But yeah, so the idea is like, you have to be able to like engineer the society or the system you're talking about in such a way that it incentivizes people to make the choice 
that is on paper beneficial to benefiting you. them the least. Yeah. Because everyone has to choose to benefit themselves the least in order for the whole fucking thing mm. to not <laughs> not implode. Yeah. And that's what we're <laughs> Which seeing. Which is also why climate change is fucked. I know, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. And, and you know, you can look at it in terms of like you can look at it through almost any any issue that we have at the moment is relatable to this tragedy of the commons thing. Like yeah. climate change, it doesn't benefit people to make individual change. There's a lot of sacrifice that you need yeah. to make. Um, your life will become less comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, or, or like, um, l- take like race privilege, right? Um, or like affir- the economic uh, crisis or whatever. Let's say affirmative action and identified positions in workplaces that are only for like I- here in Australia, like indigenous people, right? Um, if you're a white person, well, that doesn't benefit you, but it benefits the society as a whole yeah. very greatly. And that's obviously something that we should be doing. Mm. Um, well, and it's an, so it, it's the same reason why like taxes are important and all that. This is getting, this is getting pretentious and stupid, but like, no, no. yeah, <laughs> it's not, I think it's a really interesting, it's just like, this is the kind of debate that, and these, we're the kind of people, and this is, well, I mean, you know, well, maybe, yeah. We're the beef kind of station people, run the world, we'd be fine, baby. No, we're the kind of people that this is aimed at because we're yeah. the kind of people that need to be having these conversations because we're the kind of people that need to be going to protest or right. joining unions or yeah. organizing labor because not enough people are talking about this. Yeah. And companies will just find a way, big, shitty, evil companies, not all companies, but big, shitty, evil ones, will find a way to make it not beneficial to you. Yeah to form these and when they can't do it they lobby the government to make it illegal to form a union <laughs> and, yeah. and which is the real like that's that's when you've you've lost completely is when you can't even you know you can't even not go to work <laughs> like yeah um well, that's what, what I don't what's the difference yeah. between that and and, and slavery you know? this isn't funny and I, this isn't related to movies but like that's what i don't understand about people ignoring climate change man like there literally won't be a planet for you to make money on well i mean the people <laughs> the people that are responsible for the vast majority dead. of decisions will be dead and so it doesn't oh. matter to them at all and they're just selfish and shitty <laughs> it really like, bums me out here's man. <laughs> here's the biggest bummer i'll ever give on this podcast i think i i think we're not capable of making the change we need to no, as a species fine. because no. i think like the tragedy of the commons no. exactly means that um, we're not going to make it. This, this, yeah, <laughs> I this, just think, yeah, this systems I'm, class that I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm slowly morphing into Dave yeah. Anthony. Yeah, but, yeah, he's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this systems, he's not crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know this systems class that I did, where they were talking about these different systems archetypes yeah. and like studying ways of behavior from a mathematical, scientific, modeling kind of point of view, and like defining what action you need to take at which point in the process in order to effectively break the loop or whatever. Yeah. Um, Obviously, one of the examples they used a lot was climate change. And the guy, I don't have any dates or figures for you, but the lecturer was showed all these studies and things that were saying, like, scientists have given us our one last chance, like, every five to ten years for the last 40 years. Yeah. Like, and it, the first one was like, all right, this is the last chance for us to stop climate change beginning. <laughs> and then it yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. all right, it's it's hotter but this is the last chance for us to stop it getting yeah. even hotter, and like, then it's even hotter. And, and, and many, and, many, many yeah. species are going to go extinct. Yeah. But now we can it's stop like, more from going yeah. extinct. And now it's like right. So now there are loads of species that are going extinct. But this is our last chance to actually stop it before the planet's going to become yeah. unlivable. And we've like missed that one. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and it's like it's not going to be it's not going to be unlivable for so everyone. Yeah. And it, people. And, and people will reach into the bin and take a plastic bottle out and put it in the recycling. You're like, oh, great, thanks. You're yeah. doing your bit. That's going to save the planet. And the thing that, like, <laughs> the <laughs> thing that this, and the, this is a, here we go. I'll tie it back to the movie. This is a thing that, um, <laughs> no, don't. Let's just share a recycling <sighs> for the next 20 minutes. I, uh, 
I reckon, I think if you ask a lot of people that'll be listening to this, whether or not they're finding this conversation satisfying, they'd say yes. Like, I think this <laughs> totally. is just a conversation that people want to be having. It's because the people that are still... And if the, they're anything the like people me... people that are still listening... If just, they're anything like me, they are fucking angry about it. I'm yeah. angry about this almost on a daily basis. Yeah. I, I would say, like, not a day goes by where I don't at least have a few thoughts where I'm like, God, we're, we're just fucked. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah. so fucked. <laughs> we're so fucked. It's so, we're so fucked. <laughs> anyway... So relating it back to the movie, if we want, if there's even, if by some chance like some of the estimates are wrong and we do still have an opportunity to not be like having our shins melted off by seawater in like yeah. ten years, then the way that we need to start making change is on the ground with people. It's it's that we need to start disrupting processes. We need to start like, um, you know, organizing labor. We need to start engaging in political protests that make a difference we need to start like m- kind of mobilizing as people as, but, and like, as, as no one actually knows citizens. what that means from like an action point of view and like well people do the know number what it means and i think that's very dismissive like there are groups out there that are trying to do that it's just that they don't have that critical mass yet where it yeah, make exactly. a difference but they can and i think that it's a dangerous perspective to say like yeah but no one knows how to make a change because then you well fine we'll all just die no, like, I literally don't know what you mean. Like, if I want to do this something tomorrow... Well, what have you I tried do? Googling, like, a- action on climate change or whatever? Like, I don't know. I'm sure it's not that hard to find groups that are trying to make a positive difference. But m- me included, I have not done that. Yeah. I've made some lifestyle changes, but I haven't looked into positive action. And it's getting to the stage of my life, and I'm hearing about this stuff enough, where it's like, I might need to start doing stuff, man. Like, <laughs> I might actually need to start getting out there and being on a street, taking an action against something, and not just, like looking at it through like watching a movie this is not enough you know watching this movie is not enough that's the thing that's, <laughs> I, mean, that's no, I mean definitely not <laughs> no but, I, they'd be like, yeah, obviously but not. you know what i mean people people stop at this all the time they just say yeah. i've watched this i've watched this like scathing criticism of capitalism i'm aware of the problem i'm done exactly <laughs> like yeah i understand that issue yeah. it's like great was the point of the film that you watch it? No, the point of the film was that you fucking go and do something about it. The yeah. point of Black Klansman isn't to be like, yeah, how fucked is that, eh? It's to stop people who are being racist. you know. <laughs> and the point of this movie is to stop people who are like grinding people to dust and powering their fucking spaceships with them. Yeah. You know, like that's the point of this film. It's, it's organized, um, organized activity against really really messed up power structures yeah but i think why this film why sorry to bother you is such an incredible piece of art for me personally <laughs> and i hope that um the majority of people that are seeing this i would urge everybody that's listening maybe stronger than i have for any other film that we've watched except maybe black Klansman. Yeah. go and watch this movie but it's also really fun like it's, it's, it's incredibly it's one of the funny f- it's one of the funniest was, movies i've seen in I, ages I, yeah this would be like right up there in the movies that i've laughed the most during in my life and there were like Five people in the cinema, yeah. including us three. It's so funny. It's so good. It wasn't originally coming to the country, so make sure that you show... Get out there, show... It's showing at Palace Electric if you're in Canberra, where we saw it. <laughs> um, but it's also showing, hopefully, at a lot of different palaces, because uh, they might be the importer. Um, wherever it is, look it up. Go see it. It's showing now in some places. Yeah. Uh, really, 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 really make sure that you see this movie. Yeah. Because um, it's portraying some stuff that is relevant it feels like it should be relevant in the future but it's relevant right now yeah um, well i don't think it's going to blow anyone's mind but I, I i think it's like an inspirational funny that's enough look doesn't need inspiring to look mind. at it yeah even if you're already i, I mean I, it's 
I don't know if that happens really anymore. I don't know if like, we're I mean. like exposed to I don't so think it's important to watch the movie. I just think it's a good movie and people will be interested to see it. And if they care about this kind of thing, it'll, it's like an added little icing on the cake. I think it is important to watch the movie, but I don't think it's... it's. I, I'm not sure that there's this big like... Um, what the fuck was the Al Gore documentary? Uh, Inconvenient, Inconvenient Truth. Truth. I don't think there is an Inconvenient Truth these days because everyone's so aware of the issue, but they don't yeah. really understand the issue. Um, not the issue like most of these types of issues and so I don't think that these battles are won in terms of like changing people's minds or getting them to act in like big explosive fashions I don't think any one thing happens that's just like bam I now all of a sudden like oh I'm gonna quit my job and just become an activist like that doesn't happen because it can't you can't you can't quit your job you'll die so like (laughs) I think what happens instead is that movies like this really add up and form like this cumulative effect of changing people's minds where they start to recognize issues when they come up against them yeah or or they'll recognize a news story and they'll start to think like you might see a news story now about amazon saying like hey amazon's now offering a program where instead of paying its employees wages they offer them accommodation and housing and food and it's like that sounds normal but you're right that is one lifetime (laughs) it's only the lifetime contract away from literally being slavery (laughs) and so like what's going on with that like are they is it fair is it good food is it good living conditions or is it being offered to people who are on the verge of homelessness (laughs) and they have to sort of sign their life away just to stay alive that is very realistic and i it wouldn't surprise me to learn that it's happening especially for or companies other than that I mean, aren't in the spotlight. I think there are literally factories in China where this happens. Oh, and there are factories in China <laughs> where if you if you try and leave, you, you'll get killed. You know, I'm sure that there's a, there are factories in the US yeah. and probably Australia that are like that too. Yeah. And the point is, again, that like this these kind of things are one in like little incremental fashions where it exposes you to a certain. It, it just kind of makes you aware of a certain like way of spinning a story or like a certain like little red flag and all of a sudden these red flags start to add up and you're looking around more and more and you think like hang on no amazon or google or whatever like you can't that is that is a huge problem like we need to we need to start actually making a difference on this yeah um and you know maybe that's not the right place to start because of Climate change is a more pressing <laughs> issue, pressing but not important than. Well, I guess that kind of means the same. But <laughs> well, like you know, capitalism is incredibly important, and it it, it genuinely ruins people's lives. Um, but climate change is going to ruin everyone's life. So <laughs> it's like, which do you choose first? Welcome, welcome to the last and, episode of Beef Station. And not a, uh, you know, I just yeah, I, I don't know how many more of these types of movies are going to come out. Probably, uh, Probably I, th- I think fucking heaps. I think more and more, and I yeah. think that's really important because people are starting to just get sick of ignoring the issue. Um, so yeah, I guess. I don't know how much we've actually ended up talking about the film, but I think it's really achieved its purpose because... I think we've talked about in- interesting stuff enough. Yeah, and, and and go and watch it. And also, like, I'm super keen to have a dialogue with more people about this movie, so yeah. whatever you took away from it, and please go and see it, whatever you took away from it... If anything, it, because it's a little indie film that... Uh, re- support this film. Support the film. At the very least, it's so funny. Boots Riley has done such a fucking amazing job. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the main character, Cassius Green, does a fantastic performance. He had a really familiar face as well. Was he in some Yeah, else? he did. I feel like he's been in some stuff. Other, that, sh- um, other stuff as well. Uh, he's in Selma, if you saw that. Uh, no. He was in Get Out. I haven't seen that. Yeah, no, Get Out. No, he he, yeah, I saw him in Get Out. Yeah. He was in Atlanta with uh, Donald Glover. Man. Um, yeah, I, um, he's been in a fair bit of stuff. Uh, so. <laughs> I've been trying to think of other like satirical comedy type shit with a b- greater message that this kind of reminds me of. And the only other film I can really think of is The Lobster. 
Um, oh yeah, which is a totally different kind Yorgos of comedy. Lanthimos. That's and the same Yorgos, guy that did Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yorgos Lanthimos is a fucking psychopath, and he yeah. doesn't deserve to make movies. But <laughs> um, the Lobster is kind of very similar, and it's got this sort of underlying message, and it's funny and it's interesting yeah. and whatever. Um, I definitely think this is better than the Lobster. Yep. Um, in terms of satirical comedies, because the Lobster is disconcerting as fuck, and it may be uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable. In terms, I think in terms of like, so for a better than worse than yeah. It's hard for me to say, and they're on very different issues, so I almost don't want to have to put one above the other, but I think this was better than Black Klansman. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Maybe it was just because, like, right. um, I thought it was more... Uh, I don't know. The way the Black Klansman ended and showed you, like, footage of the Charlottesville yeah, that was fucked. rallies, that was almost... I-, I felt like this film was almost that constantly slightly thinner. You know, yeah. it was like, it just had that constant, like... It was like if that was spread across the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, that amount of impact. So, it's kind of... It, you didn't feel that, like, oh, the whole way through the film. You're kind of like, yeah, I can kind of go... Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I definitely felt, in terms of, like, a hyper-style, it's kind of a hyper-stylized comedy kind of thing. I definitely felt kind of a Wolf of Wall Street kind of vibe to it. Sure. In it some ways, like, it's a totally same, different kind of tone. It doesn't have that same, like, Martin Scorsese, like, cinema of excess thing. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's, same kind of tone. It's very funny. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, exactly. It's kind of saying like, hey, let's take a look at the the guys who aren't the good guys. Yeah. You know. Oh, also, um, I feel I would feel remiss if we didn't uh, give a little shout out to Stephen Yuan, who plays Squeeze in the movie. He is one of my favorite actors. So he's he played, so good. And he's he barely in any. Glenn <laughs> in The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, and he was also in something that I forget about heaps, which was <laughs> which was. <laughs> Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Clearly very um, impactful. But Glenn, Glenn in The Walking Dead was absolutely my favorite character while I was still watching it. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, he's he's very, 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 very good. Man, fuck that show. That show was good for the first season or two. Mm. And then like, I just one day realized that I'd forgotten to watch it for like six months. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, I oh, I, I'm... I guess I haven't myth- missed <laughs> watching people <laughs> just walk around yeah. for a fucking hour every week. Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh. Um, yeah, hey, so... Want, should, we, should we leave it there? I think so. Right. Um, it's I, definitely I, worth again, seeing. I cannot stress enough. Please go and see this movie. Yeah. I think everyone will enjoy it that sees it. It sounds like it's this depressing thing. Yeah. The issues surrounding it are extremely depressing, but this movie <laughs> is... Uh, so funny. Just a it's joy. So fun. Yeah. An absolute cathartic, angry joy to go and see. All the characters are really engaging. A lot of the costumes that... Like, oh, this is something I didn't mention. Um, his girl... Yes, uh, we're not done. No, Cassius Green's... No, this is a cool fact that I forgot to mention to you. Cassius Green's girlfriend is this like... Detroit. Detroit, this art chick. And she's always wearing these... Like every single scene, she's wearing different big dumb earrings. Like one of them is like a a giant font words that say like motherfucker or whatever. And this Um, one is... I like how it's murder, murder, murder on one side. And on the other side, it's kill, (laughs) kill, kill. kill, kill. kill. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So one of the sets of earrings she has with words is on her... Oh, bury the rag on one side and then deep in your face on the other side yeah. that is a Bob Dylan lyric it's from a uh, song yeah. called Hattie Carroll which is a protest song he wrote about a black housemaid who was beaten to death in like the 20s or something. yeah so there you go nice little Bob Dylan easter egg there yeah it was a uh, and this whole film is just rife with things like that where yeah. it's, it uses very it's very uh, extremely effective in its use of like symbolism but not like kind of cryptic symbolism it's just this is if you google this lyric 
it leads you to a song that is a protest song about yeah. like institutional racism. Yeah. You know, and it's just this nod of like this character lives in a world where she understands the context that Bob mm. Dylan was writing that song in yeah. and is wearing it on as a part of herself as a protest. Incidentally, herself. that Bob Dylan song is like the most, it's like the biggest bummer, saddest fucking yeah, Bob yeah, Dylan yeah. song ever. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I think it's time for the next segment. <laughs> I was just going to say yeah. one last thing. <laughs> Fucking hell. One last thing, because I feel like we've we've talked a lot more about the issues than the film. Visually, it's I think also, it's more interesting that way. <laughs> sure, but but visually, this film's also great. So if you like yeah. going to movies that look really interesting, yeah. there are so many brilliant shots. The lighting in this film is is fucking fantastic. Yeah, because it's satirical. The art direction and like how they how they represent like a telemarketer office, how they represent this. I thought the set design, plan, art direction, set design, yeah, yeah, all that costumes and everything. His was the best room, his apartment. They, these these things stick in your head, being extremely memorable uh kind of dystopic yeah. but beautiful set design yeah. it's really really I, I really thought great. my my favorite parts about the film were the writing the dialogue the writing and yep. like the art direction yeah it's fucking great yeah. so there's no this film isn't isn't bad or mediocre yeah. in, in any aspect it's yeah. just <laughs> killing it on every front yeah i don't it's think it's really really I, good. I think that if you miss it in the cinema, you can definitely. It's definitely still going to be just as good watching it on a on a, yeah, on a Blu-ray a, or whatever. This is yeah, one that you have to watch in in the movies. But um, I don't know how you'll get it, but get it somehow. Yeah, it'll be here somewhere. Yeah. Time for the next segment. Yeah, let's All move right, on. Cool. Okay, so this is a return to one that we did a while back, but haven't revisited since then. I think I haven't where, no, haven't done it very. Well. So it's where we we go through the IMDb top two fifty movies. Yep. Pick a movie that loads of people have probably seen that one of us haven't because mm. we're broadcasting professionals and don't know what we're doing. And we look at the poster. And see if and we try can to guess the plot. Guess, guess what the movie's about. Okay, so <laughs> famously, last time we did it with Jurassic Park and Ghostbusters. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this segment is called Mystery Meat. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I like that. Okay, welcome, Mystery Meat. Welcome back to Mystery Meat. All right, so we're going to guess it um, now. My movie is Titanic. Yeah, I've never seen this movie. You've never seen. I've Titanic. obviously seen a few scenes from it, but um, so I've seen. Uh, uh, I'm flying Jack. Yeah, and I've seen um, the raft bit. Right, that's that's the only two bits I've seen. <laughs> right, so it's your movie. My movie. I'm gonna do seven. Are oh, you in seven and seven and yes, yes, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, right. Um, well, do you want to do you want to kick it off? I'm gonna kick it off. Do you All right. kick it off okay, boy? so I'm looking at the Titanic poster. Um, this is the apparently. Um, original French poster. So, uh, let me pull up the English one because I don't know what the words in the middle say. Can you read what it says in the middle? It says Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet. No, I'm looking at French text and it's got rien sur terre. Oh, nothing on earth could come between them. Ne pouvait. Oh, okay. All right, great. So nothing on earth could come between them. Except, okay, so... except it seems the giant hull of the ship. So I think <laughs> based on this poster, yep. the plot of Titanic is that Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are conjoined twins, <laughs> but they're giant, <laughs> unbelievably large people, and like <laughs> two hundred meters tall. And, and they they need something so to cleave them apart. Back in the twenties, back in the twenties, they figured, okay, they're floating in the Atlantic Ocean. The only way to split these twins up is to strap a massive scalpel to the bow of an immense, immense. Residential liner. 
but, and, but, but and what so, do you mean? I mean, no, no, no ship that big exists yet, Andrew. What are we going to do? So How the, would you even so get the, the money scale, to fund that? The scale of these conjoined twins is is titanic. <laughs> they are titans, <laughs> and so what they do is Kickstarter style. They yeah, build a giant ship right. with they a razor on the front. They're crowdfunded by letting people ride on the <laughs> ship while it's happening. Right, so you can buy a ticket to be on this giant like split split. It's like an icebreaker, but it's it's breaking conjoined twins apart. Right, Ship, and so, ships with a deck view out the front where the magic's gonna happen. Yeah, rooms with that view are going real cheap. Exactly, um, you're right in the line of fire of all the blood splatter. Now the problem with this current plot synopsis is that um, I'm aware that at a point they're also normal sized and riding on the bow, and then um, yeah. Maybe, irrespective of scale, they float on a door. Well, that can be like a dream, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I think... Well, that that makes the door floating scene more believable, right? Because if uh, Kate Winslet's a fucking giant, there isn't that much space left on the door, is well, there? Well, here's what I think happens. There isn't I space on the door for both of them, because she's, fu- she's fucking huge. That's right. And, yeah. it, and it's a slightly less huge door. And also, he can't even really climb up onto the door, because he was a conjoined twin, and his whole right arm's been sliced off. Right, right. Yeah. And he probably doesn't have legs, which is why he's floating from the waist up in the water. Yeah. So what I reckon happens is one of the people who buys a ticket to the boat show yeah. is a mad scientist, yeah. possibly yeah. Doc from Back to the Future. Yeah, and they're approaching the, they're <laughs> they're approaching DiCaprio and Winslet. Yeah, and he shoots them with some form of ray gun, mm-hmm. which zaps them into normal size. Yeah, right. And then like they they're like, oh, okay, I guess this is like a different thing now, and and we can't do the split anymore. So welcome aboard, yeah. and they well, chuck him a life raft. You know, Mister Freeze is in this movie. That's where that Eistel Mutual comes from because oh, right. they're floating before when they're giant. They're floating in the Atlantic Ocean, right? And he freezes them, and now they're this giant iceberg. Well, no, because they I know that they end up on the front of the bow, but based on the information yeah. that Mister Freeze is in this movie, <laughs> I think um, that. He and the mad scientist have a rivalry between them, and they're both trying to to zap. Um, they're both trying to shoot a ray gun at these people, and so what happens is the mad scientist wins the duel, mm. and he manages to shoot them and zaps them down to normal size. They're like, "Oh, okay, well, welcome aboard." But um, what no one noticed was that one of Mister Freeze's shots went way past them and yeah. ended up hitting the water up ahead. Well, that's so, when, it, yeah, and that's where the that's where the iceberg. So, comes from. so it forms an iceberg, right? And so they they welcome. DiCaprio and Winslet aboard, they're yeah. still conjoined, which yeah. is why that shot uh, happens on the bow where mm-hmm. they're they're flying. Is yeah. it you know they um, they're both uh, 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 share the same legs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Celine Dion, incidentally, during that scene, wouldn't shut the fuck up, and they couldn't cut it out in post. Yeah, so that's, that's why that. Yeah, well, she she is like that. <laughs> um, Canada hates her, <laughs> so um, that happens. And then, um, <clears throat> as is famous in history. Yeah, the boat rams into the iceberg that Mister Freeze left unwillingly in front, or unwittingly yeah. in front of the bow, and it 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 shears the the boat in half, and uh, in the process, I'm assuming there's some sort of catastrophic tearing of metal, an accidental thing happens, and and it ends up separating yeah. them perfectly cleanly with surgical precision and healing yeah. them yeah, yeah, yeah. completely independently. Well, everyone says like, throw out your doors, throw all your doors down. <laughs> So we can throw it up, float away. We gotta make the ship lighter. And one of the doors <laughs> throw out all your buoyant material. Yeah, one of the doors is like one of them like razor sharp metal doors you get on like ships right. sometimes. Yeah, right. And then they throw that, and it's like swirling oh. through the air, and, and that like and that's what slices destinations them. Yeah. them. Right. And so, yeah. I, rather than having it be surgically precise, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna assume what happens is that Kate Winslet ends up with the legs. 
and that's mm. why she's on the door because she's gonna what live. legs they are. Oh, mama! And, and DiCaprio is left only from the waist up, <laughs> and that's why he's in the water. And he's like, "I'm not gonna fit, uh, like as in I'm not very fit, as in I'm not gonna ha- be able to run because I'm gonna die because I don't have legs anymore." And, um, yeah. Uh, and well, I DiCaprio actually famously very vain didn't want to show the fact that he didn't have any legs on camera, which is why he's floating. Oh, he really doesn't have legs no, yeah. in real life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he's perfect you, for the role. Why do you think he's so drugged up in Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, right. That's because he so was, that was, that was like post surgery. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, but, they sewed a real pair of his. No, they legs sewed a real him. pair of legs. Oh onto shit! Him. Yeah. Wow. This is this is fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, so how did I do? <laughs> Well, like I said, I don't think it's very fun if you just lie if and you actually have seen no, the No, I've actually yeah. just got the Wikipedia out for <laughs> and I'm reading the plot synopsis. <laughs> no, I think you did pretty All well. Right. I, think that's, I, think that's, I think that's roughly what happens. Cool. Yeah. Good. I don't need to watch it now. Yeah. But I will watch the original uh, Michael Keaton Batman with Mr. Freeze in it. <laughs> you missed the scene where uh, DiCaprio, in giant size, has his hand stuck through a porthole and he's chained to the radiator as the ship's sinking down. But I think oh, right. I, I can forgive you that. Um <laughs> <laughs> right, so seven, Sussevenin. So this actually isn't Sussevenin on this poster I'm looking at. Oh, well, is that seven seven? I think it's one of those like seven brackets stylized to S E seven E N. Sussevenin. Right. Well, um, so I've got two. Jesus, look at this poster. So, so if you're not looking at the poster at home, um, it uh, up the top it's got credits for Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, both of their faces on the poster, and yep. then it has and then like gluttony, s- greed, sloth, envy, wrath, pride, and lust, all with red strike throughs through them down yep. the middle of the poster. Yeah, it's a David Fincher movie, and underneath <laughs> the title it says Seven Deadly Sins, Seven Ways to Die." <laughs> right. So I think I mean. I'm gonna I'm gonna come out here on and tell you now that I actually have seen this movie and so I know oh. I know that it is, well, this is it's equally like a, unfun as my attempt. It's like a saw style film. Right. Right, as you know. Where um interesting take. David Fincher it's is this the one where it it's it's like a it's like a docudrama where David Fincher locks Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman in a room. Yes, and Saw style. <laughs> and he says <laughs> Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is is this the one where he says that each of them have to take turns um, guessing one of the deadly sins? And I think I think from memory, um, all of Brad Pitt's like adopted family, little little kids are there, and from he's got memory. He's, he's got fucking fifteen of them or something. So they're all like in another room, right? And Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, they have to. I don't. I think they have to come up with the seven deadly sins because, of course, this film was filmed about five thousand years ago. Oh um, yeah, so they're um, so so it's not that they have to guess them. They yeah, have no, to, sorry, I misspoke. They have to invent. They're, they're coming up with the seven, the seven deadly, deadly sins, sins, and they're trying right. to come up with what's most reasonable. And I, <laughs> David Fincher is like, of course, like the moral arbiter of what 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 is and isn't a sin. Okay, and so he um, and always has been, always has been, and of course yep. because because the future of like human morality and ethics is kind of riding on these decisions right. they've decided that for every single one that Brad Pitt or Morgan Freeman, because of course they're taking turns, um, get wrong. Or right. like, they're like, oh, who gets to start? Because well, obviously seven, not divisible by two, famously. So <laughs> right, one so of them is on four. So that's a contentious issue, right? Because David Fincher says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill one of these kitties for every every sin that you fuck up, man." And f- funnily enough, Morgan Freeman is first like, "Well, how about child murder? Is that up there?" And David Fincher's like, "Oh, you can't get me on a technicality." And now they're down to fourteen. <laughs> okay. He's got plenty of spares, but that's okay. <laughs> so. I and mean, that's what's in the box. Yeah, right. And so, the, and so then the main conflict of the film, of course, comes out of the fact that I mean. Uh, Brad Pitt is taking the game seriously, and Morgan Freeman couldn't give a fuck. Right, because so he's not like, his kids. he's like, skipping to the last level on Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, using the warp on World Five <laughs> One. 
and yeah, and that is a very niche joke. <laughs> and and Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt's like, oh, gluttony. Why go with gluttony first? There are <laughs> there are so many, but it really kind of shows where his head's at. And then um, what about how her head's at? Where her head's at? <laughs> Where's your head? At? Where's her head at? Is, yeah, that's Brad Pitt's last line in the film. Yeah, well, that's the sound. That's that's across the soundtrack to this film as well. Is exclusively basement. It's jacks. basement jacks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've heard that. You've heard the forty-five minute remix of that song, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Basement yeah. Jacks' album Seven. <laughs> Yeah. Um, right. And okay, of course, so of course, they crossed them out because this whole time David Fincher already has all the seven that he wants on his clipboard, oh, and he just wanted to see a menu, and he's just down. crossing okay, them out. Right. Yeah. So and I've got a film. question for you now. Yeah. Point of fact: um, Kevin Spacey is in this film. How do you think he factors in? Right. Well, it definitely wasn't a brave choice for me to cast fifteen children, and then was it? <laughs> <laughs> So I think I think that I think that little question kind of kind of answers itself, doesn't it? Oh boy! Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hit it with the news. <laughs> Only have two headlines this week. Sorry, I was a slack boy. Mm. First one, slack boy, my favorite character from Trainspotter. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Stone's Cruella Deville movie is to have an early '80s punk vibe. Cruella Deville. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, Shit. So like, which I just learnt three you things know, in one headline. <laughs> I Wait, ton- her origin story, is it? I don't know. I, Tonya filmmaker Craig Gillespie is reportedly in early talks to direct Cruella, Disney's live-action 101 Dalmatians spin-off starring Emma Stone. Emma Stone. It's going to be an original story with a new period edge set in the early 1980s with a punk vibe. Yeah, right. So it can't be like a coming-of-age thing because Emma yeah. Stone, quite young, Cruella de Vil in the cartoon, quite old, based in like the 20s. So, right. I mean, you don't, you don't miss a trick. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's right. I've done the maths and it, it doesn't work out. Yeah. I mean, so. uh, I told you it was pretty funny. Uh, it's written by some dude named Jez Butterworth. And That's if your last name's Butterworth. That's the Alan Smithy of scriptwriters. <laughs> Don't name your kid Jez. Like, oh, but this yeah. one's really not working out. It's got to be a Jez Butterworth. <laughs> For those um, of you who don't know, Alan Smithy is the name that a director uses when they don't want their actual name associated with a work. Really? Yeah, that's a Directors Guild of America directive. How many fucking movies are they named Alan Smithy? Well, there's like uh, it's a surprisingly interesting number. It's like f- it's like there are fifty movies. Like, Isn't that um, the guy that directed all the prequels? And Boom! It's, been, it's been decommissioned now, so you can't use Alan Smithy anymore. But there are <laughs> a, 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 a defined number of films where directors. It was such a fucking train wreck that the guild said we need to be able to not have people's names be associated with these pieces of shit because there's been yeah. too much interference. So it's going to be released as directed by Alan Smithy, which is absolutely like a black mark. Yeah. So if you see a film directed by Alan Smithy, it's probably dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what do you think? This, this, is the, this is the only other headline I got. Sorry about the short news segment today. Beef station listeners. We've but done more than enough yeah, damage. Exactly. Um, so to round out a little beef bulletin, uh, Kevin Hart was announced that he was going to be hosting the Oscars next year. Oh, yeah. It's now, he's now stepped down and he's no longer going to be hosting the Oscars. And it's another one of those things where, and this is an interesting and contentious issue, so I'd be interested to hear your take on it. Um, people have unearthed like, homophobic tweets and shit that he said like 10 years ago 
and have come out oh, with I that this. and said like, um, oh, what do you think of this? And he's been forced to step down. I think, uh, look, I, I, I actually was on Twitter and I was looking at some of the, the those threads and those comments in particular, um, someone who was making a mm. kind of concerted effort to try and dredge up some of this stuff. Yeah. And um, a lot of the comments underneath were basically like, man, are you the same fucking person that you were 10 years ago? Like, I bet 10 years ago you, you know, it was like a mid-30s white dude. And they were like, I bet yeah. 10 years ago you were using the N-word on social media, man. Like, you yeah. are not the same person. Exactly. Doing this. And, and that's kind of what I feel. It was really heartening to see people be like, yeah, look, obviously he's, because there was some um, homophobic slurs that he was yeah. using in tweets. And obviously that is uh, like, uh, you know, that's not condonable behavior today. It's mm. not okay to be doing that today. Um, and I, I guess it's indicative of problematic beliefs back then, but it's certainly not indicative of his current yeah. mental state. And I think taking that punitive approach to these kind of issues, rather yeah. than saying we sh- we need to be rehabilitative on this, it's clear that he doesn't have any of these kind of issues anymore. You come out, you say, hey, look, yeah, that was the wrong thing to do. I didn't realize at the time. Yeah. Um, clearly, that's despicable behavior in this current day and age. Exactly. I apologize for it. And so, like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, obviously shit that he said those things. But yeah, it's like 10 fucking years well, ago or whenever it was. we have to have a Nuremberg for what people did on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and, and so, like, I just think we can't live our fucking lives that way now. So, the interesting part of the story here is that um, when this shit started to come up, the Academy of Motion Picture apparently called him and said, look, you have to either apologize for the, this shit you said yeah. or step down from right. being the well, host. Right. Well, I think that's absolutely said, the right he thing says, to do. He says, and I've got a quote from Kevin, Kevin Hart here. He says, I chose to pass on the apology. The reason why I pass is because I've addressed this several times. This is right. not the first time this thing's come up in my career. Yeah. Um, it's not the first time I've addressed it either. I've spoken on it. I've said where the rights and wrongs have been. I've said who I am now versus who I was then. I've done it. I'm not going to continue to go back and tap into the days of old every time when I've moved on and I'm... I'm in a completely different place in my life. Right. Well, that's also of, reasonable. I kind of fuck with that quote a bit. But that's also of, very reasonable. I kind of see what he's coming from. It's like, well, fuck, man. Yeah, sure, I'm sorry. For, and he, I think later on Twitter, he was like, yeah, I'm sorry if I hurt anyone. But like, it's like, fuck, man, you can't just... Well, if it's I was like, a shit person 10 years ago, you can't bring that up every six months. Also, and be if like, he's released a press statement about it, which I'm sure he would have yeah. the first time this, this shit had Whenever it was. Yeah. And he's he's done an apology. He's gone to that level of depth of, of kind of remorsefulness and whatever yeah. and, and, and showed uh, like a, a real um, sense of... Um, personal positive change yeah. now, why does he have to do that for every brand that wants to work with him? Like, Does Forever. he have to do yeah, an, exactly. an, an Academy version apology and an, a yeah. Disney version apology? And, yeah. an, 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 and so like, like... You can't do... You just have to... You have to say, okay, this person's been called out for something bad that they did a while back. They've apologized. It's clear that they've showed change. Mm. It's not just that they're continuing to do it because obviously if they're continuing yeah. to do that, that's not right. And there's always but, sides to this. Like maybe 10 years ago, he didn't apologize. Or whatever. But like, it's, This is just the James uh, Gunn yeah. shit all over exactly. again. And I, it was really nice to click on the link because when James Gunn did it, people were like, whoa, that's a bit fucked. Yeah. And it's like, it was 10 fucking years ago and he was clearly just being edgy and like inflammatory. Trying to make some dumb joke or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think that they were funny or insightful or good. Yeah. But like it was so long ago, you just, it's it's almost impossible to, now that he's shown remorse and apologized, to not just move on from that. You can't function if you don't move on from it. And I, I just think it's the same issue here. Like, But it was nice to see people having that perspective this time around and saying like, man, stop going through people's fucking tweets from 2009, okay? Like, no one gives a fuck. No yeah, one exactly. gives a fuck. I don't care what he said in 2009. I care what he's saying now, you know? And like, I don't think anyone is looking at Kevin Hart being like, Man, is Kevin Hart a, a massive homophobe? Especially if it's been addressed already. Yeah. And like he seems such a wholesome guy in every other respect. I'm and sure like such he a is. funny it was just I don't know. Like, and again, there's always 
I mean, <laughs> got to distance the beef station brand in case yeah, this blows exactly. up in our faces. But like in general, I just hate this thing that's happened several times where like in recent memory, where like something that someone did 10 years ago has come back to bite them in the ass, despite what kind of person they are now. Look, I'll go on record as like, I'll, I'll speak for myself here. So I don't know if you agree with this, feel free to. I take a rehabilitative approach to any kind of justice, right? Where if someone has done the wrong thing, um, but they are given an opportunity to, they improve their behavior, they recognize where they were wrong, and they are reintegrating into a society with new, better ideals that benefit people. That's fine. That's all you can ask for. You can't ask for people not to make mistakes in the first place or make poor decisions. You can only ask them to be remorseful and make positive change and not do that thing again. If you, The other option for that is punitive justice, where you say you did that one thing once, we're going to punish you forever for it, or we're going to punish you <laughs> an amount until an arbitrary line is crossed. There where needs to be some database of public, uh, of court of public opinion uh, punishments. Where, like, you know, if some dude said something fucked on YouTube six years ago, we all have to record the fact that we got angry at them, and that's the one time you're allowed to get angry. Yeah, exactly. At them. <laughs> and then it's just like, man, we've been over this already, and yeah. we've been over this not just from him, but yeah. from other people, especially if he's already issued an apology. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous to expect someone to. People, when they were making those comments, and again, this isn't an excuse for the behavior because it was wrong at the time, but I think it was in a completely different context. And people didn't realize that this was going to come back and matter. And they didn't realize the importance with which this kind of language was being treated. In the same way that I'm sure someone speaking about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, who now has a better understanding of like what the AIDS epidemic was, how it affected people, the harm that it did, would speak completely differently about it in 2018. And also going back to an uh, an article that they probably published in 2018, in the 80s, and and pointing at that and saying, what do you think about this, huh? Mm. And them saying... I don't believe that anymore. I'm a completely different person now. I've learned so much since then. Yeah. I sincerely apologize because I know that that was a harmful thing to do at the time. But there's nothing more I can do about it than positively change and move on. Exactly. And also I think that um, the way people, the way the public view people and people's public persona affects how much impact their statements have, obviously. right? Like right. if we say something fucked on this podcast accidentally... Goes the to people, like 30 people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, it goes to the 30 people and maybe those people are going to be offended. But like, in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to have that much impact. But like, if Kevin Hart says something fucked now, right. all these people look up to him and there are all these, you know, kids and other members of society, members of the comedy community, yeah. the Hollywood community role that models. respect him, role models, all that kind of shit. And he probably didn't know 10 years ago the sort of position he's going to have now. No, and so, I'm like, sure he you could have. even, yeah, exactly. And so, that's what James, James Gunn, not to like, validate things he's saying, but no. it's just like the way in which you view the impact of the things you're going to say, regardless of whether or not they're fucked, yeah, is going to be tremendously different based on whether you're this huge public figure James or not. James Gunn was like a no yeah. one. He was a exactly. nobody 10 years ago. Exactly. And now he's directing like one of the biggest films in Hollywood. Yeah. And, so and so he didn't know at so the time. If James Gunn is going to try and make some, he would have the luxury to make some dumb, edgy, not funny joke about yeah. whatever the fuck it was 10 years ago um, that he probably would have considered a lot more now if, yeah. if, it, if, if he had this big public persona. He's like, look, Obviously, he has the same like code of ethics, but like he he knows a lot more about the the impact that's going to have on people. We can have a different code of ethics as well. It's okay to change your code of ethics for yeah. better, and that's you know, and I that's mean, the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's stop harping on about it. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, like I just think it's ridiculous. We you cannot, we yeah. we are not going to be able to move forward as a society. A when we are all boiling alive. <laughs> B if we hold people accountable in the modern day for what was what was said decades ago 
you just we can't especially now not now that everything is public record yeah. you know because people that just never allows people an excuse to change and grow which is something that literally all humans have to be allowed to do so yeah. there's just no it's it's just ludicrous and i'm glad that the oscars said at least I think it's it's you know it makes sense that they were risk averse and they said Same as Disney, um, yeah. you have to apologize. Well, Disney just fired him. That was the yeah. wrong thing to do. That was punitive justice. Right, they okay. said, "You've done the wrong thing. Fuck You're yeah. fired. Yeah. Fuck you. You you get no chance." Yeah. So Whereas the Oscars, I, I suppose was in like, that way, Kevin Hart afforded now? himself the luxury of being able to be like, "I'm not going to fucking apologize. Fuck you." Yeah, like, and I, I guess apologized like, sixteen times yeah. already. And, yeah. and I think that's a bit of a protest. Maybe that was a dumb thing to do. Maybe he should have just. Well, apologized if he didn't want the work, again. he didn't want the work. You know, sure, like exactly. But that's a different. In my head, that's a statement of him saying like. Well, if you actually fucking cared about what I'm saying yeah. and cared about the impact I had, you'd know I... Again, I don't know if he and did, the, but like, he'd be like, you know, they, I addressed this years ago. The, the Oscars don't. Yeah. They care about their managing own their own reputation. Product, yeah. Exactly. Right. And so, like, that's what... I, I'm, I'm also with him. Like, it was stupid if he wanted the work, but yeah. it, it doesn't matter if Kevin Hart hosts the Oscars or not. People yeah. know who Kevin Hart is, right? Yeah. So, um, if he doesn't need it for, for whatever reason, then yeah. um, fine. And I guess it's reasonable of him to say, like, no, I'm not going to placate your brand. Yeah, I've I, already said what I've said. I think that's what it is. Go back and look at Twitter mm. um, and look at my press statements or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> so, that's, that's the beef station, right. beef so bulletin So, we still don't know week. who's hosting the Oscars. <laughs> no. Um, no, I don't think so. No, yeah, no. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, Gareth Reynolds tweeted that he suggested Lena Dunham. <laughs> oh. For those of you not in the know... <laughs> She did a boo-boo. She's, she she says some, fuck stuff now, though. She did some bad stuff. <laughs> fuck Lena Dunham. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Beef Station. You can email us, beefstationpod at gmail.com Please if do. you've got we anything really to say. We really want more interaction from you guys. If you've got any feedback for us, yeah. if you want to hear us talk about any movies that are coming out, lots you, of great movies coming out. If you do go see Sorry to Bother You, I'd love to have a post on the Facebook page about what you thought. Let I'd us know what you think. To talk to we'll you read it out in the next step if you let us know. Twitter, at Beef Station Pod. Facebook, beefstationpod.com. Nope, facebook.com slash beefstationpod. I did up again. <laughs> I'm Oscar. Andrew. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>